Wow, thanks Richard. Just making me cry. <laughs> it's, it's great to hear that. I've been in this church since I was about 14. And sometimes when you grow up in the church, you can be seen as a kid forever because like you were, you were a child. But that's definitely not my experience here. So I super duper appreciate um, just that, the acknowledgement, the love, and giving me space to grow and become the woman that God is creating me to be. So yeah, I love you guys too. <laughs> so much enough. Cool. We are in the book of John. A wonderful book of John. Who read John 2 this week? Hey, fantastic, fun times. I read it a few times because I had to preach on it. But <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> just remember to read John 3, even though I'm not preaching on that. But <laughs> it's fantastic. The book of John is just wonderful. And as Judith said to us last week, it was written that we might know that Jesus is the Savior, that he is the Christ, and that by believing in him, we might have life. And so it's wonderful to read and see the stories, the way John portrays who Jesus is through his signs and his miracles, pointing to the fact that he is God, that he is divine, and he is the one who saves. It's amazing the picture um, of Jesus that John paints for us. I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I had a children's Bible, and it had pictures in it. Is great. And, and one of the main pictures, I don't know why, but the main pictures of Jesus is like he sat with children, isn't it? Like it's like Jesus, there's some children on his lap, and, and that's the picture of Jesus, and he's, he's kind of cuddly. He's like, oh, it's nice, Jesus is blessed them, we're having a good time. But very quickly in the Gospel of John, he tells us this story, and he chooses to put this story very close to the beginning. And it's portraying Jesus in a slightly not-so-cuddly light. Suddenly, this Jesus is kind of out of our box and out of the, 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 the thing we'd, we would put him in. And he's doing something that seems rather bizarre. But let's read in John chapter 2 and from verse 13. John's just told us this wonderful story about how Jesus is the best ever guest you'll ever invite to a wedding or a party because he turns water into wine but he's he's kind of in the background. He's not really taking any credit for it. But then we read in John 2, verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, get these things away from here. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Amen. 
amazing story. And now sometimes I, want, I do wonder to myself, like in all honesty, I was like, was Jesus just having a bad day? Like maybe, I don't know, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe one of the disciples was snoring too much the night before, so he didn't get lots of rest. Maybe he was hungry. Does anyone get hungry? You get angry when you're hungry. It's hungry. I, I get hungry. I'm not very nice to be around. So maybe he doesn't have any breakfast. I don't know. Maybe that was what was up. Thankfully, John tells us that that was not the reason that Jesus was behaving in this way, that Jesus was purposeful and intentional and he wasn't moody. But it was zeal. It was passion. It was this indignation for I know what the temple represents. I know what is supposed to be happening in this place, and it's not happening in my father's house. So something is wrong, and that moves me to action. Jesus understood that the temple represented God's presence dwelling amongst his people. It represented the place where they were to go and worship him, where they were to encounter him, where they would hear him, and by what they hear of him, they would live in that way. And they were called to live differently from the people around them, so that the people around them would know that the God of Israel was the one true God. That's what this place represented. That's what this place was supposed to be. It was supposed to be sacred, holy, a place of worship, of intimacy, And Jesus knew full well as he points in this very scripture to the fact that he is the ultimate fulfillment of this. And he knew the price he was going to pay to make this happen. And so with everything in him, he's like, this is not what it should be. And so he didn't take it lightly. He didn't, you know, it's funny, he didn't kind of go in and be like, guys, guys, this this is not great. Maybe, Maybe you should stop. Like, okay, I'll come back in a week. And I'll just, you know, just, just move your stuff out slowly. He was like, no, this is serious. And so he turns over the tables. And he's like, there's no time to waste. This is really, really serious. And he moves the tables and he throws them and the money's out. And, and you can just imagine all these cows and chickens and, well, the sacrifices running around and it's chaos. And interestingly, they kind of don't argue with him in saying that he's wrong. They just ask, what gives you the authority to do that? So they didn't say, they didn't go, No, we have every right to be here. So they knew what was happening. They knew that this wasn't supposed to be happening. But they say to him, show us the sign. Give us the authority. What authority do you have to come and tell us um, what to do? And he points to himself. They didn't get it only afterwards, but he points to himself as saying, I am the fulfillment. I am the way in which God is going to bring his presence. This temple simply points to me. And that's the authority on which I come and say these things. Jesus came to take away all the barriers to true worship, to remove all the barriers that would hinder us from fully coming in to God's presence and stepping in to our true identity as his children. And so let's ask ourselves, what are the barriers in our life that hinder us from stepping into true worship? from fully giving ourselves, from coming into God's presence and giving all that we are to him, what are the things that you know today, if Jesus were beside you, he wouldn't just pat you on the back, but he would flip the tables over and he'd be like, not this, get rid of that. That shouldn't be here. Let's just take a minute. What are the things that Jesus would turn over that hinder us in true worship to him?
You know, like Richard said before, the primary thing that hinders us from coming into God's presence is sin. In the very beginning, we dwelled in God's presence in the garden. We walked with him. We talked with him. There was this beautiful intimacy. But as soon as sin came into the world and we rebelled against God, there was a separation. And and Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden. But God did not stop there. And this is why he sent Jesus, to reconcile us back to him. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, he makes the way. He gets rid of sin completely. And he now says, look, it has no control over you because I took it all upon myself and I died upon a cross and I nailed it there. And now it has no power over you. And so now you have free access and you can come in without any hindrance whatsoever. This is the beauty of the message of salvation. Whether if you prayed that prayer earlier, this is the guarantee that you have, that your sins have been completely forgiven and that you can boldly come into the throne room of God as a child of the Father, fully forgiven, set free. Sin no longer has control of you because Jesus has dealt with it once and for all. We also know, don't we, that we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And there are still things in our life, in this journey, in our walk with God, that would hinder us, that we struggle with, that would seek to hold us back. And Jesus came to deal with these things, and he, and he, he gives us his Holy Spirit, and he reminds us through his scripture that, look, you don't have to live that way, because I've dealt with it. Just give it back to me, and let me set you free, and let me help you walk in your true identity. In Hebrews chapter 12, And from verse 1, we read, or it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, or throw off, it says in the NIV, and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus turns the table, and then he says, throw off the sin, throw off the things that weigh you back. Don't kind of be casual with them. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that when, when we... Um, when we live together in community, it's one of the primary ways in which God uses to confront these things in our lives. And so when I go to the gym, it happens occasionally. Um, <laughs> yup. <laughs> new year, new me. Um, <laughs> when I go to the gym and I go to a class and I'm like, um, so there's about 20 of us in the class and I'm there doing my bench presses, and I think I'm doing a good job. It's like, yeah, you know, this is okay, I've got it. And then the gym instructor walks past me and moves my hands because I'm doing it here and it should be up here so it's not working the right muscles. And she moves it slightly, and I'm suddenly like, oh my goodness, like, oh, that is so difficult, what is going on? And now I know what to do, but the thing is, I couldn't see my technique was wrong. I needed somebody else to point that out in me. This is why we need community. So she points it out, and I'm like, oh, goodness, thank you. But then, after a while, she walks away again, and I think, oh, she's looking at other people. I'll just bring it back down. (laughs) I'll just go easy on myself again. As soon as she comes, oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) I'm going to bring it back down. 
But it's true, isn't it? On our own, if we're really honest, we tend to go easy on ourselves. So if I'm dealing with something, oh, it's okay, Lakundo, there's no condemnation. It's, this internal dialogue is going on, and I know I'm forgiven, and I know Jesus has set me free. Yes, this is the truth, and it's great. But then I tend to easily fall back into it because it's just, it's just me. But when someone else is asking, how are you doing with that thing? Um, how are you doing reading about? You said you wanted to read your Bible, read a chapter a day in the month of January. How's it going? Suddenly it's different. It's like, okay, there's someone else to hold me to account. There's someone else to point out that you said you were going to do this, but you didn't do it. It's like somebody once said, it's not risky. Having like a, 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 a New Year's resolution or a new commitment is not risky until you tell someone that you're going to do it. <laughs> there's no one to hold you to account. So really, there's something in that declaration and, and proclamation. And, now, and this is how Jesus has called us to live. He's called us to live in community and he has called us to admonish one another and to call these things out. And I may hear you say, but Lakundo, the Bible says, do not judge before you, you know, the speck in your brother's eye, take out the log in your own eye. We're not supposed to judge. And we live in a time where we're not very good at telling people that what they're doing is wrong because we don't want to come across as judgmental. Now, the context of that, of that, of that in, in, in scripture, in, in the book of um, John, no, where are we? Book of Matthew, Matthew chapter seven. It was about judgment. It wasn't about correction. There is a difference. And I think sometimes we mix up correction and judgment. So we're afraid to correct people because we think we're judging them. But they're two very different things. So to judge someone is basically to say, my opinion and way of doing things is the absolute standard. So therefore, if you are not doing things the way I think they should be done, you are guilty. That's judgment. And no one can do that other than God because he is the ultimate standard and he is the only one who can do that. So we are not called to pronounce people's destinies and say, this is, you're guilty and, and forever eternally. You know, there are other words for the word judge. Some mean to discern um, and, and to navigate, and there's wisdom. But in that scripture, Jesus was talking about that pronouncing people guilty. He's like, you, you should not pronounce people guilty. That's not what you're called to do. So correction, on the other hand, is pointing people to the standard of God, to what is in his word. And so when we read in the book of Colossians, where Paul is admonishing us and telling us how to live, together as Christians, and he says, above all these things, put on love. In Colossians 3.16, he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. That word admonish means to, it, it means to correct, to, to almost rebuke in love, nicely, not judgmentally, but to say, no, that's not quite right, that needs to change. That's what admonish means. One another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Second Timothy chapter three and sixteen says, "All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." Proverbs 10, 17, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. It's good, isn't it? 
We are not called to judge one another, but we are called in love to correct and admonish one another, to point one another to the way of life that Christ has called us to live, that he's already made possible by his sacrifice on the cross. He's already done everything that absolutely needs to be done, so grace empowers us to live righteous lives. But we do that in community. We do that by allowing other people in this process of discipleship to say, hey, um, you know, let's talk about this. What's going on here? How do you understand this? Let's look at what the Bible has to say about this and go to scripture. And that is how we grow. It's a coming alongside. It's a teaching. It's not standing off from afar and saying, you're not doing so great. Off you go. That's judgment. It's coming alongside and teaching and growing and shaping just like you would with a child. If a child was doing something that you knew was causing them danger, but they thought it was fun, like touching hot things, you'd stop them, like almost violently. Stop it. Don't do that. You're hurting yourself. What are you doing? And so why don't we do that with one another? You know, I, I sometimes think to myself, actually, if, if no one is giving me feedback, or if no one is correcting me, it's probably because I have a big sign on my forehead that says, don't give me feedback, don't give me correction. Because I say how much I want it by how I respond to it. And so there's no one who's walking around going, oh, no one gives me any feedback or correction, I must be perfect. That's not the case. It's more than likely because something is, you've given off, I, I don't really want it, I'm good. But that's not how we're called to live. Love is truthful. Love builds and shapes and causes us to look more like Jesus. And that is the process of discipleship. That's what we see Jesus model in the scripture. We see Jesus so passionate about, look, this is what you're called to, and this is getting in the way, so let's get rid of it. Now, of course, there are things we need to journey on, and, and there's process to these things, but it's that we don't take them lightly because Jesus doesn't. It wasn't a light thing he did to die on the cross to get rid of sin. And so he doesn't take lightly the things that the enemy would try to throw in our way that hinder us from fully coming into God's presence. And we shouldn't too. But we're so thankful because he's, he's done all the heavy lifting. He's done the work and we can freely just step into it. And so we're called to speak into one another's lives and we're called to correct one another in love. But God also gives us this wonderful opportunity in James chapter 5 where he teaches us how we can almost initiate it or welcome it. So it's one thing for us like now thinking, okay, now I have to go around correcting everybody. Every time I see someone do something, I'm going to correct them. But interestingly, John says this, James says this in James chapter 5 and verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So we're supposed to correct one another in love and speak the truth. But James is now going even further and saying, actually, before someone comes to the point of correcting you, how about you just tell them what you did wrong? So right now, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I just want you to tell them the worst thing that you've ever done in your entire life. <laughs> you will be here. I'm, kid I'm kidding. Okay, okay, sorry. Don't do it. Oh, no. Oh, Lord. 
Don't do it. It's not the context, the face. But James speaks, and he speaks about healing and physical healing, spiritual healing. We know it's all intertwined. And he's saying, look, there is power in confessing your sins. Healing comes as a result when you intentionally decide to live an open life. It's basically what he's saying is that we shouldn't be struggling to tell each other stuff because we're already so open. We're already so, this is what's going on. So there's a freedom to just speak in that and correct and we grow and we love and we keep going. And so he says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed and you may be made whole. There's power in saying something. When I'm just dealing with something in my head, I, I frequently, me and my sister do this, we'll pick up the phone, maybe something has happened that day, and we'll pick up the phone, just say, I just need to talk to you about this thing. This happened at work today, and my face was saying one thing, but this is what was going on in my heart. I might sound like a crazy person, but I thought this, I had that bad thought, I imagined her tumbling down the stairs, and then this, and I would tell her, and it sounds awful, but... I, when I, and I know God's forgiven me, but there's power in when I say it out loud, suddenly it comes into the light, it's off me, it comes into the light, I can see it from a different perspective, and she, what she then does is, mm -hmm, she reminds me, okay, Lucundo, there's no condemnation in Christ, you're forgiven, now let's, what was going on? Why did you think that? Where is that coming from? All right, okay, so this is what you're dealing with, you're feeling insecure about that, let's pray. And there's healing that happens. We'll be uh, at home and sometimes I'll say something to Dami. It sounds like an innocent comment. And then like, I'll go quiet for five minutes and then I'm like, yeah, the reason I said that was because I had a really bad thought. And this is what I thought and it was really bad and I'm really sorry and yeah. And he, sometimes he's like, okay, <laughs> you could <laughs> You could have just like kept that in your head. <laughs> Just honestly, like, anyway, let you into my mind. It's, it's, it's bonkers. And sometimes I don't even believe the things that I experience. I'm like, why did you think what's wrong with you? Why did you think that? But what it does, it, it helps me to acknowledge, to confess, to say, okay, this is what's going on. And, and sometimes before he, Dami or my sister has then had the chance to speak into my life already, I'm going and the Holy Spirit is going, this is why, this is where it's rooted in, this has happened before and this is what it is, let's deal with that. There's power in confession. There is power in bringing things into the light so that we can deal with them. There is no shame because Jesus took it all away on the cross. He's taken away all the shame, but the enemy would still try and, 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 and trick us into staying hidden and then we're wrapped in these cycles because we're not bringing it into the light, and then we're just continually struggling and struggling and struggling. When he's like, no, there's freedom. Because once, once you're able to, to know the truth and people can speak the truth into your life, it sets you free. And we can live in the light and we can live openly. And Jesus can tackle those things inside of us. And so, and it's really important that we understand that in confessing our sins to one another, we're not looking for forgiveness from other people. Forgiveness comes from God, and that happens. But this process of growing and being shaped and being fully made whole comes as we do it together in community. So who are the people in your life that you can tell your crazy thoughts to? Who are the people in your life that you're like, oh, I just swore in my head at that person even though I didn't swear with my mouth? Who can you say that to? Who are the people you can say, yeah, I, I saw her tumbling down the stairs or I saw her losing her job because I was really mad at her? 
I dare say that out loud, but who can you say that to? There's such power in saying that in a safe, safe place. Who are the people who are maybe older and wiser who you can ask, help me, disciple me, teach me how to follow Jesus better, help me to become more like him as I, as I learn from you. Who are the people? How can we be the initiators of this? How can we step out, be brave and be bold? And trust me, the moment you confess something to someone, they're like, yeah, been there, done that, I, I can relate. And it's actually, yeah, we all struggle with that, but thank you for saying that because it now releases me to, to get really healed up as well. So who are the people that we can ask honestly to speak into our lives so that these things can be turned up? guys want to come up so one is just to take a moment and think about think about that think about the things that you know that actually Jesus these are the tables in my life right now that you need to turn that you want to turn maybe I've been holding back a bit maybe I've maybe I'm just scared maybe it's shame maybe I'm afraid but there are things I'm holding back and I'm not allowing you to turn maybe I'm, they've been there for so long I don't know what I'd do without them who are the people that God can highlight to you and say, actually, this person can help. This person can journey with you. There's no need to be afraid. So let's just take a moment. And the band are going to start playing. And when you're ready, I want you to stand up and join in and singing in response when you're ready. But just have a moment with Holy Spirit right now. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and to just minister to our hearts. We thank you that you've, you've dealt with sin and shame on the cross forever, Jesus. But Father, we wanna live in the light. We wanna continually be changed and conform from one level of glory to another. We wanna look more and more like you every day, Jesus. And so we wanna be humble enough to receive correction. We wanna be humble enough not to think we've got it all together, but to fully experience all that you have for us as we open up our lives as we confess to one another the things that we struggle with, as we help one another along this journey. So Holy Spirit, come now and speak to our hearts, Lord God.